Well, today is the last Sunday of Lent. It's been a a six-week journey, and I hope and pray that over these weeks that there's been some sense of renewal or new beginnings or some new perspective that each of us has gained as we have been together these weeks. And this morning, I want to wrap up our Lenten sermon series, Rolling Stones, Releasing What Weighs Us Down. And each sermon, as I have said, has been self-contained, and the same is the case for this morning. And as you've heard me say over the weeks, uh, life is so incredibly wonderful, joyful, amazing, and full of blessings. But in the midst of this, we all know that there is much more in life than just what is good. That most of us at various points carry around stuff that weighs us down, that sometimes we hold on to experiences or events that are burdensome, even depleting. And a good image for this that I've spoken about over the weeks is carrying around a bag of rocks, a bag full of rocks that is not only heavy, but jagged and tough-edged. I've said that I believe that most of us, if not all of us, can become stone collectors if we're not careful. Stones we carry that can be hard to release, which become heavier and heavier with each passing day. That such stones have names like temptation, anger, hurt, spite, judgmentalness, inadequacy, to name just a few. And many of us carry around such things and others like them, and they impact how we live and how we relate to others, ourselves, and even God. Well, today, as in prior weeks, hopefully each of us received a rock this morning. And I'd like to invite you to hold on to that rock as once again we will do something with it shortly. But before getting into the subject for today's rock, as it is Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week, I believe it's helpful for us to remember or encounter for the first time just a few of the events of that week of Jesus' last week of his life. A few moments ago, we heard some of the details of what happened near the end of the week, written by a man referred to as John. And today is Palm Sunday, and it marks the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem. And we learned from a variety of writers that on that Sunday, Jesus entered the city on the back of a colt. And as he progressed into Jerusalem, vast crowds welcomed him by spreading cloaks and leafy branches on the ground before him, hence the tradition of our palm leaves on Palm Sunday. The people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Well, it's important to know that there was a fellow named Zechariah who predicted these events by writing about them hundreds of years before Jesus entered Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus, in fact, Zechariah once wrote the following long before Jesus entered Jerusalem. He wrote, Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a colt on the foal of an ass. And to many, Jesus was just this king, the one who would turn everything around and confront all that was wrong. And this is why the people on that Sunday screamed out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which in Greek, means save. The people were screaming and yelling out, save us, save us, save us. And the people greeting Jesus that day were celebrating the one who would save them and make everything right. Jesus told some people he was going to Jerusalem to die, but he was also going to Jerusalem to confront the people of the world's greatest power, to confront them on their misguided assumptions about God and what life is all about. Now, the days of Holy Week that followed Jesus' entry on Palm Sunday were incredibly busy, and here's a very, very brief, rough breakdown on what happened that week. 
On Monday of Holy Week, which would be tomorrow, Jesus went into the temple, the place of worship, and turned tables upside down, telling people that they had lost sight of why they were there. He was filled with passion to set things right and to encourage those who were there to worship God for the right reasons. On Tuesday of Holy Week, Jesus went outside of Jerusalem, cursed a fig tree, and said, this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem. He then engaged in fire preaching, taking on the most religious Orthodox people who had lost perspective. Jesus used some of his most powerful lessons and parables on this day. He spoke about taxes and marriage and what heaven is like. He spoke about judgment of those who harm and take advantage of others. He spoke about caring for the poor. Jesus on that Tuesday took on a bunch of topics that got everyone hot under the collars of their robes especially the self-righteous clergy that were present. We don't know much about Wednesday, but we do believe that a lot of plans were being made to kill Jesus. Wednesday turned into Thursday, and we know that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus on the Last Supper, the Last Supper where Jesus washed the feet of his followers and went to a garden to pray. We know that Jesus, as we just read, was arrested and taken before authorities, on bogus charges, and then Friday rolled around. In the Gospels, we learn that Jesus is brought before a man named Annas, and then Caiaphas, both high priests, and is put on trial. Then he's put up in front of the Sanhedrin, a religious governing body, for a third trial. Then he's taken to Pilate, then Herod, then back to Pilate, both government authorities. In essence, think of Jesus as going through six trials on that Friday morning before and after sunrise. And even though there's no basis to convict Jesus, Pilate gives in and demands and requests that his soldiers crucify Jesus. And Jesus is crucified. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three of the afternoon, we learned. And at three, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a few moments later, Jesus gave out his last cry and died. And it is at this moment that we learn from various sources that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. These words, the curtain of the temple were torn in two, are incredible. And just, I just want to touch on it briefly before getting into our rocks. Just one meaning of the curtain was, of the temple was torn in two. Many of you know that the temple in Jerusalem at that time was a vast place. There were different sections to it. There was an outer courtyard. Everyone basically was allowed in there. Within the courtyard was a place called the Holy Place. The priests were allowed in there. And within the Holy Place was an area 15 by 15 cubic feet called the Holy of Holies. And only one priest was allowed in there once a year because inside the Holy of Holies was the very presence of God. And what kept everyone out of the Holy of Holies and away from the direct presence of God was the curtain of the temple, a barrier to keep human beings away from God. And the curtain of the temple reminded people that God is holy, separate, and never to be approached directly. But when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and separation between God and each of us was forever removed. As one person writes, what did the torn curtain mean? For Jews, it meant no more barrier between them and the Holy of Holies, no more priests necessary to go between them and God, no more animal sacrifices. And for the rest of us, what does the torn curtain mean? It means we are welcome to enter into God's presence at any time, any day. And when Jesus hung on the cross and the curtain was torn, all barriers between God and humankind went with it.
So that's a very cursory look at Holy Week and some of the events of what happens and what it means. And we'll be getting into more of this on Thursday at our Monday, Thursday service, and of course, Good Friday. But now it's time to get back to our rocks. Remember, each rock in this series has represented something we carry around that God invites us to let go of and to release. Things like shame and not feeling good and, and anger, etc. And to wrap this series up, I want to focus for just a few minutes on something else that many of us carry around. And that something, in fact, is more than just one thing. That something that many of us carry around is everything in our lives that gets in the way of love. The kind of love Jesus spoke about. As I have written about recently and have spoken about over and over and over again over the 10 years that I've been here, Jesus was not a complex, confusing fellow. Jesus was crystal clear. His message was simple and it was straightforward. And God, if we mucked it up. Sadly, tragically, and unbelievably, in the 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead, layer upon layer upon layer of messages from churches, of hierarchies, the unquenchable desire for power and control, politics, certitude, physical and organizational structures, fear, oppression, exclusion, egos, rules, clergy, liturgical practices, personal preferences, have subdued and complicated what Jesus said life is all about to the point that it is frankly nearly unrecognizable in many communities of faith. Too often communities of faith alienate, harm, and drive people away from the reason we are alive to begin with. Jesus was crystal clear. He said everything, no exceptions, is about love. Jesus did not say love, oh, and by the way, or love and but. He simply spoke of love with no add-ons, no addendums, no additions that get us off the hook. The work we do in life, the decisions we make in life, the manner in which we conduct ourselves, the way in which we treat people and strangers, the relationships we enjoy, the activities we undertake, the way we lead our faith, the standards and the views that we hold about everything in life can be infused with and based upon the kind of love Jesus spoke about or not. God is love, and this is what Jesus taught and how he lived, and more often than not, guess who it was that rejected Jesus' simple message? The people who were most religious. Jesus was killed, as we remember this Holy Week, by the most orthodox religious people around him. Because for them to love the way that Jesus spoke of meant they had to let go of power, let go of control, let go of themselves, let go of their opinions, and most of all, let go of their egos. Jesus never said that the love he spoke of was meant only for certain domains of life. Rather, the love imperative of which Jesus spoke applied not only to religious leaders, but to leaders 
and people in every domain and dimension of life. Do we believe it? Loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves is the simplest yet most astonishingly difficult choice we are given. And a lot of religious people cannot stand that message. Love is the most demanding path. And what is heartbreaking to me is that love by many is no longer considered to be at the center of what it means to follow Jesus. Love is often relegated to the back seat, superseded by religious leaders who speak far more of judgment, exclusion, hell, salvation, who is in, who is out, political and party alignment, condemnation of other religious traditions, hostility toward those on the margins, and just about anything that has nothing to do with the love of what Jesus taught. Again, Jesus was clear. The purpose of everything is love. The purpose of this chapel of love. The mission of this chapel is love. We will do it extraordinarily and perfectly. We will continue to focus on this mission of love. However imperfectly, again, we pursue it. Near the end of Jesus' life, in fact, during this Holy Week we are coming into, Jesus was very clear to his followers, love as I have loved you. And when he said that, he didn't say to his followers, convert, save, change, challenge, condemn, judge, protect, maintain, eliminate, or detail a long list of rules. He simply said, love as I have loved you. In my 59 years of life, I've come to believe some things with very deep conviction. Of course, Jesus' word, love God, love people, love ourselves, is the purpose of everything. But I also believe if we look at anything that is wrong in this world, if we look at anything that is wrong in our lives, whether it be broken relationships or harmed children or abused and discarded people or economic injustices or environmental destruction, or ethnic wars and divisions and crime, the harm caused by religion, if we look at anything that is wrong, a lack of love, the misinterpretation of what love means, or discarding what Jesus taught, is at the root core. And conversely, if we look at the most poignant examples of what is astonishingly right, And there is so much that is astonishingly right happening every day in many communities of faith, in many households, in many schools, in many towns and villages. We will find that love is in the formula and in the mix. I don't think we're that complicated as human beings. You see, I believe that when it's all said and done, I believe that you and I really want only one thing. We want love. We want to be loved. We want to love. We want to love God. We want to love God, the God who created us. We want to love other people as they deserve to be treated. We want to be treated well. And we would really like to love ourselves. I believe when it's all said and done, the thing that cuts across gender, race, whatever, is love. For it's love that heals, it's love that transforms, it's love that sets people back on the right track, 
It's love what leads people to God into having a heart of a servant. Now, love is not some just kind of feeling. You see, we can see love. We can watch love. We can make love happen. If you and I make a decision on any given day to make that day about loving God, loving others, and loving yourselves, ourselves through action, you'll be astonished. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, today, my day is about loving God, loving people, loving myself, and every decision is going to be made in the service of the love of God, the love of others, the love of myself, you will be astonished to see what happens during the course of the day. You will see love flourish all around you. You will feel the power of the Holy Spirit. You will feel God guiding you and directing you. You don't believe me? Try it. And boy, will you feel out of place with everybody else around you. But to make the decision to love, we have to let go of and release what gets in the way of love. And from my own life, and while it varies from person to person, I know that things that get in the way of love include all kinds of things. Fear, ego, materialism, money, prejudice, stereotypes, seeking comfort and security first, certitude, an us-versus-them approach, anger, addictions, the way things have always been done, lack of openness to new ways of thinking, being closed off to getting professional help. Each of these and many more inhibit our ability to love. Religion, the word and, the word but, and discounting that every single human being is created by God also impedes loving if we are not careful. And finally, as the great theologian Jimi Hendrix said, (laughs) when the power of love overcomes the love of power, then the world will know peace. If we want to challenge all that gets in the way of loving, the first and most important question that you you and I need to ask ourselves in every situation, what does love of God, what does love of others, and what does love of myself require of me in this instance? What does love of God, what does love of others, what does love of myself require of me as I make a decision? And so I ask each of us to think about what is getting in the way of loving God, loving others, and loving people. And so now I invite you to take that rock that hopefully you have and to hold that rock in your hand. And I invite you to visualize that rock as representing anything that gets in the way of your life, my life, being about loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves. Look at that rock and see all the things in the rock and feel the weight of it all. I want my life to be about love more than anything. And I believe you do too. In a few moments, we will celebrate communion. And when we do, as in weeks prior, bring your rock with you, we will have a basket up front. When you come forward to receive the bread and wine on this Palm Sunday, I invite you to drop your rock into the basket. And when you do, let go of everything that gets in the way of love. Ask God to help you, to guide you, to work through you, so that your life can be infused with the love that God intends. You are each so marvelous and wonderfully made. You are each so gifted. You are each so wonderful. The love of God fills you 
And God invites you to share that love with all of those around you. At the close of today's service, we will have quite a pile of rocks. Each of these rocks represents stuff that we've been working to let go of over the last six weeks. So in this six weeks, let's let go of what gets the wind of love. And don't forget to be here Easter Sunday to see what God does and is willing to do with all we have been willing to let go of. And let us pray. <clears throat>